We're reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 8, Chapter 1, the Manus, Administrators of the Universe. Today's verse is text number 14. Patagre Rashayak Karman, Ihante Karmahetabe, Ihamano Hi Purusha, Prayoni Ham Prapadyate, Atagre Rishaya Karman, Ihante Karmahetabe, Ihamano Hi Purusha, Prayoni Ham Prapadyate. Atagre rishaya karman, ihante karmahetave, ihamano hi purusha, prayoni ham prapadyate. The word for words are ata, therefore, agre, in the beginning, rishaya, all learned rishis, saintly persons, karmani, fruit of activities, ihante, execute. A karma, freedom from fruit of results. Hetave, for the purpose of. Ihamana, engaging in such activities. He, indeed. Purusha, a person. Praya, almost always. Aniham, liberation from karma. Prapadyate, attains. Translation, therefore, to enable people to reach the stage of activities that are not tinged by fruit of results. Great saints first engage people in fruit of activities, for unless one begins by performing activities as recommended in the Shastras, one cannot reach the stage of liberation or activities that produce no reactions. I'm going to go back to the beginning of the chapter and read the translations up to this point so that everyone has some context. Text number one. King Parikshit said, my, Oh, my Lord, my spiritual master, now I have fully heard from your grace about the dynasty of Swayambhuva Manu, but there are also other Manus, and I want to hear about their dynasties. Kindly describe them to us. A learned Brahmana, Shukadeva Goswami, the great learned persons who are completely intelligent, describe the activities and appearance of the Supreme Personality of Godhead during the various Manvantaras. We are very eager to hear about these narrations, kindly describe them. O learned Brahmana, kindly describe to us whatever activities the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who created this cosmic manifestation, has performed in the past Manvantaras, is performing at present and will perform in the future Manvantaras. Shukadeva Goswami said, in the present kalpa, there have already been six manus. I have described to you Swayambhuva Manu and the appearance of many demigods. In this kalpa of Brahma, Swayambhuva is the first manu. Swayambhuva Manu had two daughters named Akuti and Devahuti. From their wombs, the Supreme Personality of God had appeared as two sons of Yajnamurti and Kapila, respectively. These sons were entrusted with preaching about religion and knowledge. O best of the Kurus, I have already described in the third canto the activities of Kapila, the son of Devahuti. Now I shall describe the activities of Yajnapati, the son of Akuti. Swayambhuva Manu, the husband of Shatarupa, was by nature not at all attached to enjoyment of the senses. 
Thus he gave up his kingdom of sense enjoyment and entered the forest with his wife to practice austerities. O Sainaparat, after Swayam Bhuva Manu had thus entered the forest with his wife, he stood on one leg on the bank of the river Sunanda. In this way, with only one leg touching the earth, he performed great austerities for 100 years. While performing these austerities, he spoke as follows. Lord Manu said, the supreme living being has created this material world of animation. It is not that he was created by this material world. When everything is silent, the supreme being stays awake as a witness. The living entity does not know him, but he knows everything. Within this universe, the supreme personality of Godhead and his super soul feature is present everywhere wherever there are animate or inanimate beings. Therefore, one should accept only that which is allotted to him. One should not desire to infringe upon the properties of others. You'll notice this verse number 10. Atma vasyan idam svishvam yatkin chij jagatyam jagat tena tena bunjita magridha kasasudhanam. Sound familiar? Yes. Yes. And so actually in the Sri Shapanishad that we read, and there's a, <clears throat> there's a commentary, there's a book uh, that's been translated, I think, by Banu Maharaj with the commentary there. And it points out <clears throat> that the speaker of the prayers in Sri Shapanishad is Manu. And as Sri Vaspanda Prabhu pointed out to me the other day when we were reading this chapter, that this verse is uh, parallel with Isavasabhidam Sarvam. And so the the uh Shri Shapanishad, when we're chanting it we can now see the context that uh it's manu he's gone to the forest to perform austerities uh, for in the last stage of his life and all his realizations are pouring out into that uh, shastra text number okay uh, translation within this universe the supreme personality of god it and his super soul feature is present everywhere Wherever there are animate or inanimate beings, therefore one should accept only that which is allotted to him. One should not desire to infringe upon the property of others. Text 11. Although the Supreme Personality of Godhead constantly watches the activities of the world, no one sees him. However, one should not think that because no one sees him, he does not see. For his power is to, to see is never diminished. Therefore, everyone should worship the super soul who always stays with the individual soul as a friend. The Supreme Personality of Godhead has no beginning, no end, and no middle, nor does he belong to a particular person or nation. He has no inside or outside. The dualities found within this material world, such as beginning and end, mine and theirs, are all absent from the personality of the Supreme Lord. The universe which emanates from him is another feature of the Lord. Therefore the, supreme, therefore, the Supreme Lord is the ultimate truth, and he is complete in greatness. 13. The entire cosmic manifestation is the body of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the absolute truth, who has millions of names and unlimited potencies. He is self-effulgent 
unborn and changeless. He is the beginning of everything, but he has no beginning. Because he has created this cosmic manifestation by his external energy, the universe appears to be created, maintained, and annihilated by him. Nonetheless, he remains inactive in his spiritual energy and is untouched by the activities of the material energy. And today's verse, Atagre Rishaya Karaman, Ihante Karma Hetebe, Ihamano Hi Purusha Prayo Niham Prapadyate. Therefore, to enable people to reach the stage of activities that are not tinged by fruit of results. Great saints first engage people in fruit of activities, for unless one begins by performing activities as recommended in the Shastras, one cannot reach the stage of liberation or activities that produce no reactions. Srila Prabhupada's purport. In Bhagavad Gita 3.9, Lord Krishna advises, Jagnartat karmano nyatra lokoyam karmabandana. Work done as a sacrifice for Vishnu has to be performed, otherwise work binds one to this material world. Generally, everyone is attracted to hard labor for becoming happy in this material world. But although various activities are going on all over the world simply for the sake of happiness, unfortunately, only problems are being created from such fruitive activities. Therefore, it is advised that active persons engage in activities of Krishna consciousness, which are called yajna, because then they will gradually come to the platform of devotional service. Yajna means Lord Vishnu, the yajna purusha, the enjoyer of all sacrifices. Bhuktaram yajna tapasam sarvaloka maheshvaram. The Supreme Personality of God, it is actually the enjoyer and therefore, if we begin our activities for his satisfaction, we will gradually lose our taste for material activities. Sutta Goswami declared to the great assembly of sages at Naimasharnya, Atapumbir dvija shreshta varnashrama vibhagasha svanustista siddharmasya samsidhir haritoshadam. O best among the twice born, it is concluded that the highest perfection one can achieve by discharging his prescribed duties, dharma, according to caste divisions and order of life, is to please the Lord Hari. That's from Bhagavatam 1.2.13. According to Vedic principles, everyone must act according to his classification as brahmana, kshatriya, vaisha, shudra, brahmachari, grahasta, vanaprasta, or sannyasi. Everyone should progress toward perfection by acting in such a way that Krishna will be pleased. One cannot please Krishna by sitting idly. One must act according to the directions of the spiritual master for the sake of pleasing the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And then one will gradually come to the stage of pure devotional service, as confirmed in Srimad Bhagavatam 1.5.12. Naishkarm yam apyachuta pavavarjitam. Knowledge of self-realization, even though freed from all material affinity, does not look well if devoid of a conception of the infallible God. Jnanis recommend that one adopt naishkarmya by not doing anything, but simply meditating and thinking of Brahman. 
But this is impossible unless one realizes Parabrahman, Krishna. If there is no Krishna consciousness, any kind of activity, be it philanthropic, political, or social, simply causes karma bandhana, bondage to material work. As long as one is entangled in karma bandhana, one must accept different types of bodies that spoil the human form of facility. Therefore, in Bhagavad Gita 6.3, karma yoga is recommended. Arurikshor maner yogam karma karanamuchite yoga rudhasitasyaiva shama karanamuchite. For one who is a neophyte in the yoga system, work is said to be the means. And for one who has already attained to yoga, cessation of all material activities is said to be the means. Nonetheless, karmendriyani samyamya aste manasasmaran indriyartan pimudhatma nitya charasa uchite. One who restrains the senses and organs of action, but whose mind dwells on sense objects, certainly deludes himself and is called a pretender. Bhagavad Gita 3.6. Nice palindrome there. The, first, the verse before that was 6.3, and here we are at 3.6, just so you can remember the two in tandem. One should act for Krishna very seriously in order to become fully Krishna conscious and should not sit down to imitate such great personalities as Haridas Thakur. Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati condemned such imitation. He said, Dushtamana tumi kishera Vaishnava pratishtara tare nirajanera ghare tava hari nam kebala koitaba. My dear mind, what kind of devotee are you? Simply for cheap adoration, you sit in a solitary place and pretend to chant the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, but this is all cheating. Recently at Mayapur, an African devotee wanted to imitate Haridas Thakur, but after 15 days, he became restless and went away. Do not suddenly try to imitate Haridas Thakur. Engage yourself in Krishna conscious activities and gradually you will come to the stage of liberation. Muktir hitvayata rupam swarupena vyavastiti. Atagre rishaya karman. Atta therefore agre, in the beginning, rishaya all the rishis. Karman, fruit of activities. Therefore, in the, rishi, in the beginning, all the rishis, fruit of activities, ihante, akarma, freedom from uh, fruit of results, hetave, for the purpose of ihamana engaging in such activities he certainly purusha a person praya almost always aniham liberation from karma prapadyate attains therefore to enable people to reach the stage of activities that are not tinged by fruit of results great saints first engage people in fruit of activities for unless one begins by performing activities as recommended in the shastras one cannot reach the stage of liberation or activities that produce no reactions. Yes, so it's not so easy to get out of the bodily condition of life because uh, a conditioned soul has been in that situation since a time immemorial. It means anadi karma. We can't trace it out how long ago it was. And um, nor, do, um, nor do the Shastras try to trace it out, nor do the Acharyas try to trace it out either. 
some will mention, as does, does Bhaktivinoda Thakur and Jaiva Dharma, that when one achieves chit samadhi, or one becomes disengaged from the uh, subtle and gross body and sees oneself as an eternal spiritual being and thus is not affected by the context of uh, time, then one can understand. But one can understand uh, one's proclivity to be in the material world by studying one's own uh, psychology and uh, noticing an unwillingness to serve God and uh, and a tendency to try to enjoy the material nature, which is what um, the Shastra, the Acharyas, and uh, Srila Prabhupada has presented again and again is the cause for being in, the, in a material body in the first place. Be that as it may, once uh, a person is embodied, there, there's a, a circle um, of karma, which is uh, created by one's interaction with the external world through the agency of the mind and the intelligence. The buddhi or the intelligence is the closest thing to us. In fact, at the end of the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna describes indriyani priyanyahur indriyabhya paramaraha manasas tu parabhudhir yobhude paratastu saha that there's a hierarchy starting with the senses. Above the senses, there's a more subtle entity called the mind, which is the clearinghouse for all the impulses that come in through the senses. And uh, the mind then presents those images, accepting and rejecting them to the, to the buddhi or the intelligence, where there's um, vivek or a sense of discrimination of which things to um, <clears throat> execute. And those are passed up from the buddhi to the, the purusha or the soul. And actually, uh, maybe just uh, if I ask for a verse, then bring it up. Otherwise, don't do it automatically because then. Sorry, Maharaj. No, no, that, that's okay. Um, so there, there's this hierarchy and in the next verse Krishna says evam buddhi param buddhva samstab yatmanamatmana jahi shatram mahabaho kamarupam durasadam he says that it's possible for the purusha to um, rise above the, the uh, in, lower influences uh, of the the senses, the mind, and the intellect that become contaminated by the three modes of material nature. And he does that by um, purification and by deliberate spiritual intelligence. And then uh, one can discern using one's intellect, which in the materially conditioned uh, stage of life uh, contemplates how to exploit the material energy in a more uh, efficient way. In fact, this is what universities are about, mostly. There's no department there for discerning the difference between matter and spirit. However, they are especially um, expert at showing us how to use the intellect to exploit material nature more efficiently. And uh, let's uh, engage, let's go deeper into physics, into electronics and psychology in such a way that we can find uh, happiness in the material world. 
but yoga is different. It's using this, the intellect in such a way that it can um, uh, see the difference between itself and, or the soul can see the difference between itself and the intellect. So this is called deliberate spiritual intelligence, and that's what Krishna recommends. So that uh, co contemplative activity of being able to do that is not so easy because uh, there are so many uh, conditionings in the mind that come from my interaction with the modes of material nature. Uh, actually, the mind is filled with the various modes of material nature, Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas. And as Krishna describes in the 14th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, there's a way that the, the modes are always mixing. So you never get pure Sattva, or pure rajas or pure tamas, but there's always mixtures of, the, of, of them. And sometimes one is prominent and then another becomes prominent, but they're always combining and mixing different combinations and permutations. And uh, this is compared by, um, by one Vaishnav commentator uh, as a, like the haritaki fruit. In India, there's the haritaki fruit. And the Haritaki fruit, according to Ayurveda, has all the different tastes. <laughs> and so in a similar way, uh, the mind has all the uh, tastes of the different combinations and permutations of, of the modes of material nature. And uh, this is something Rishabhadeva describes in his teachings to his son, Parabhavas Tavada Buddha Jato, that uh, one takes birth again and again because of this mixture of the modes of material nature. Therefore, one shouldn't engage oneself again now that one has the material body. That verse, would you pre please bring up a shraddha? Parabhavas Tavara Bodha Jato. I believe it's uh, five, um, five, five, uh, two or three. Parabhavas Tavara Bodha Jato. Uh, it won't be in five. It's a Rishabhadeva's teachings, fifth canto. Yeah, it'll be five, five, but it's not showing, two is not showing up that one. Let me see. It's five, five, five. Thank you, five, five, five. Thank you. Bringing up. Sharing it now. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So Parabhava means defeat or misery, and Tavad means as long as. Abodhajato produced of ignorance. Yavan, as long as. So Parabhava there will be defeat as long as one's in contact with the lower modes of material nature, and one doesn't inquire about the truth of the self. This is deliberate spiritual intelligence. And as long as fruit of activities um, are there within the mind. Karmatmakam 
yena, sharira bandaha, karmatmaka means absorbed in fruitive activities or colored by fruitive activities. Then one has to take another material body. So um, Vyasa explains that there's a way in which when we, when we leave the present material body, there's um, all of our karma comes as one wave. And just like if you're at the beach and a huge wave comes all of a sudden. Uh, this happens sometimes in what we call tsunamis. The, the, uh, the wave, you can see it coming from a long way away, and it comes and it sweeps away everybody. Uh, the, the town, the villages, all the animals, all the people, all the cars, they, ha they happen sometimes in Japan. You can watch, and it looks like a little um, you know, play area that just got <laughs> flooded, and the, everything's just floating away. Or sometimes uh, we get out here in California, these sleeper waves that uh, everything looks kind of calm and then a huge wave comes and it just pulls people off the cliffs. So you have to be careful out there. So uh, Vyasadeva says that at the time of death, then a wave which is uh, comprised of all our karmas that uh, we've created through our interaction with the modes of material nature through the agency of the mind, they come to bear at that time. And, and um, karmana daivanetrena jantur deho papate striya pravishta udaram punso reta kanashraya. There's a way in which uh, there's a, a decision made. It's, it's very automatic, actually. There are uh, personalities involved whose intelligence is practically uh, omniscient. Like uh, Yamaraj is empowered by uh, Krishna to have uh, this omnisciency uh, in order to uh, discern what will be the best situation for the living entity at the time of death. But in any case, it looks mechanical. Everything comes together at one time like a wave of karma, and it simply pulls us into the next situation. So Rishabhadev here is warning his sons as long as you're not using your intelligence to separate yourself from the mind uh, which is affected by the modes of material nature, then uh, you're engaged in karmatmaka, which means uh, you're engaging through the agency of the mind and uh, with, the, with the modes of material nature in the material world. And that means sharira bandha, means more bondage in the material world, you'll be pulled in. So uh, how does one become freed from this? So Krishna starts off in the Bhagavad Gita by describing the paths of karma in chapter three, and then uh, jnana in chapter four, and he describes uh, therein that uh, great kings like Janak, they uh, showed people the path of working for the Lord through performing sacrifices because most people are not able to sit down and contemplate uh, what's the difference between the mind and the self. And therefore, they have to engage their senses in practical ways. And in this purport, Prabhupada mentions the Varnashrama, uh, that uh, everyone has a um, predisposition to work in a certain way, to think in a certain way, certain capacities for thinking and working. 
And uh, this comes as a because of the combination of the modes of material nature one has acquired through association in one's last life and has been accommodated for in this life in a particular kind of body. And therefore, one has to be engaged according to those propensities so that uh, one can gradually become freed from the influence of the three modes of material nature. And how, how is that done? It's done through uh, the process of yagya. So one can work as one's uh, um, predisposed to do. Everyone needs to work. Nobody likes to be sheltered at home. Everyone wants to be out doing their thing and uh, working in a certain way and engaging the senses. But Krishna says that if you add yagya or the sense that I'm doing this for the Supreme, then that activity, um, even if it's uh, slightly materially motivated, if there's that uh, understanding that ultimately I'm doing this for God, it, it'll become gradually purifying uh, to, the personal, to, to the person who's performing the work. And uh, in the Vedas, there are certain kinds of fruit of activities that offer rewards, material rewards, that say, if you do this kind of sacrifice, then you're going to get a better position in the material world. And some people um, are already attached to getting something here in the material world. And therefore, um, if you don't give them the opportunity to do it in conjunction with the uh, Shastra, or as a... Um, instruction from the Shastra, then they'll just try on their own. So the Shastra then says, uh, work like this, uh, perform these kinds of sacrifices, and then you'll be elevated. And as one does that, there's a way in which uh, one starts to develop faith in the Shastra. And then through good association, one can start to develop a sense for performing activities that are more in line with um, the, the desires of the personality of Godhead. And one gradually comes from this uh, uh, point of performing karma to karma yoga, and then gradually into bhakti yoga. Interestingly, in the sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna describes the, the path of yoga or meditation, he mentions that uh, for those who are starting off, the path of work is recommended because people can't sit down and meditate if their mind is too agitated. In fact, there's uh, prerequisites, even in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, for somebody to be able to meditate, and that's the yams and the niyams. You have to uh, be uh, properly situated, uh, not lying, not stealing. You have to uh, control your senses and perform some tapasya before you can settle down the interior part of your mind. And there are these um, impulses that come from a previous association with modes of material nature. And <clears throat> Patanjali says that uh, these are very difficult to overcome unless you perform Kriya Yoga, which is very much, uh, it's almost synonymous with Karma Yoga, which in, includes uh, using your senses in working uh, for God and also doing japa, reading scriptures and things like that before you can actually weaken the um, impulses that are there within your mind. So you can sit down and, and, uh, <laughs> and discriminate between matter and spirit and see the difference between yourself and your body. So that's being recommended here, or what I mean by that is 
As Prabhupada says, therefore, it is advised that active persons engage in activities of Krishna consciousness, which are called yagya, because then they will gradually come to the platform of devotional service. So in general, we have to find the ways that we can uh, keep our senses engaged in practical ways. Uh, Prabhupada mentions later on here that by spreading Krishna consciousness, and engaging in the process of um, uh, of the Sankirtan movement, um, one's senses become purified. And also, as we teach Krishna consciousness to others, we have to give practical ways that they can engage their senses in acts of um, sacrifice that are meaningful to them, because not everybody can simply jump into the process of a devotional service. It's not so easy for some people. And therefore, the Shastra and the Acharyas give a, a gradual way to step in and begin to make advancement. Now we'll take a few reflections or questions to expand the conversation. Maharaj, when you mentioned that we need to identify uh, not with mind and the self, uh, who is that is that the living entity or the soul sorry i couldn't get that proper uh, uh, i couldn't understand that one can you just please uh, mention who is trying to, who should do that is that me means as a soul or as a living entity because i am just identifying myself i'm not a mind and self is that self is soul sorry i just got a bit confused yes the self is the soul it's called oh, self is the soul okay called the atma or the purusha it means you're a person and you have you have consciousness the consciousness of the atma has nothing to do with matter it's a constant steady eternal it never diminishes and uh, in final analysis our engagement with with matter is uh, rather odd because we actually have nothing to do with material nature at all mm. however when we become uh, connected to it, there's a way in which uh, we're, uh, uh, we're accommodated with uh, a, a subtle and gross body. And the, uh, the, the subtle body, especially the, the buddhi or the intelligence, is the closest thing to us. That's the a covering that's um, uh, immediate to the, to the soul or the living entity or the purusha. They're all the same thing. And then when our consciousness, which is full of light, is reflected on the buddhi, uh, and we look at the buddhi with our reflection in it, we assume that that's us. And the, uh, similarly with the mind, which is also a, a very subtle form of, of prakriti. It's only two things in this world, ultimately, according to Sankhya, and that's the purusha and prakriti. Purusha is the, the living entity. And the prakriti means the material nature, and the two are quite different. However, the living entity becomes involved with prakriti, and then through looking at the world through the medium of the mind that's illuminated by the effulgence of the, of the purusha, uh, it becomes uh, that mind and the, and the buddhi become illuminated by the, the light of the soul, and then the, the, the living entity, who's actually the seer, becomes absorbed in that, um, 
effulgent mind and thinks this is me and becomes absorbed in the world of the mind. And the mind is affected by the three modes of material nature and therefore the living entity um, is absorbed in this world of the mind, which is uh, controlled by the modes of material nature. It appears as if the world's turning, but only the mind is turning because of the uh, impulses that are coming into the mind called vrittis. Vritti means really to turn. So the mind's always turning, it's always seeing things. Uh, and so when one is in illusion, one feels that uh, I am the mind and I am the, the situation of my life that's going on right now. And uh, has a, a very uh, deep fear, for instance, of death, clinging to uh, the material body. It's one of the um, obstacles that uh, Krishna mentions in knowledge. He said, uh, one should see uh, you know, the superfluous nature of, of birth and death and not become overwhelmed by it. But that's the situation when one's in bondage, uh, uh, being attached and thinking, I am this body, I am this mind, I am the life situation that's going on around me and so forth. But through uh, discrimination, and really, um, if those who are um, become enlightened in spiritual knowledge start to understand that the material world's not a place of enjoyment. Krishna calls it the dukalayam. Mm -hmm. It means a place of misery. And that misery, uh, I mean, we're hearing about from Rishabhadev, it's uh, samsara, it's not pleasant. It's, we're dragged down again and again and put in different kinds of bodies. And these are born from the um, kleshas or the miseries uh, themselves that are embedded in our mind because of our association with, with Prakriti. So, um, one can uh, actually, you know, become di disconnected from that and, and see the difference between the body and the self. So, through bhakti, our process of bhakti yoga, uh, Sudha Goswami says, Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Priyojita Janaya Yashuvairagyam Gyanam Chayurahaitukam. When you engage in activities of bhakti yoga, then naturally you get knowledge, which means a perspective of seeing the difference between your body and yourself, and vairagya, a sense of detachment from, the, from prakriti. Is there another question? Or? Oh, I have a question. Yes. Go ahead, Sadhu. Yes. Hare Prabhu. Um, Hare Krishna, Sadhu Vrindavan. So, um, the procrastinating is a really big problem for me because, all, as we know, the mind is uh, always likes to, you know, if you don't train it properly, the mind will always pull you towards um, sense gratification. So, like, when I'm, if I say that, uh, if I say to my mind, you know, today I'm going to read, uh, I don't know, for two hours at 11.30 a.m. And then at 11.30 a.m., suddenly my friends call, friends call me and uh, uh, they call me to play. And then I start, I, I start playing with them and I totally forget about um, what I thought that I'm going to read. And then for like, after like, for like the whole day, I totally forget that I'm going to read today. And then it just, I, and then I never read it. So how do we stop procrastinating? Uh, from like, you know, 
How do we keep our mind focused on the task that is given to us? What a good question. Thank you very much for asking that. That's very practical. So there are a couple of techniques that can be very helpful for procrastination and especially for setting goals. So you're a progressive person. You like to take up tasks that uh, improve yourself, uh, better yourself in devotional service and, you know, Madunga and reading, all these types of things. So now what you mentioned was reading Brihat Bhagavatam Rita for two hours. That's a tall order, two hours. So there's a, a philosophy in Japan that I learned many years ago that has to do with this way in which to um, take consistency over volume. And uh, translated into English, it's called mini habits. So it's just like homeopathy. In homeopathy, you take the most diluted of the um, particular medicine that you're putting into the pill. It's practically just like one molecule in the whole thing. The subtleness of it has some kind of effect, apparently, although I know very little about homeopathy. <laughs> but that's the idea. I heard Prabhupada talking about it once. And uh, the same idea is there. Instead of saying, I'm going to do two hours of Brihat Bhagavatamrita, uh, uh, you might say something more like, I'm going to do two minutes of Brihat Bhagavatamrita every day. Then what your mind will say is, uh, that's nothing. Anybody could do that. That's practically nothing. It's like the homeopathy. It's like there's nothing in this. <laughs> and so then you could just say, okay, well, I could do that. Now just do your two minutes. And what happens is you'll, you'll notice that you'll, sometimes you'll read more than two minutes. You'll get absorbed and you'll say, oh, okay, I read 20 minutes. And then sometimes you'll even be hanging out for two hours. And someone will say, come on, let's go play. And you say, yeah, I'm just finishing my two minutes here. So breaking down habits into mini habits is a much uh, easier way to do it. Otherwise, it, it's, it's hard to look at. You know, I'm always amazed. You look at a book, and it always looks like a lot to read, right? Especially the Brihat Bhagavatamrita. I'm going to get one because it's more impressive. When you look at how thick it is, That's thick, right? Can you see it? Yeah. So now I want you all to notice how thin one page of a book is. You see that? How thin is that? So thin that you think like, I could never get from here to here if the pages are so thin. How am I ever going to get there? But you know, there's a miracle that happens. When you take a, a, some kind of a vow to read a certain number of pages, even if it's two pages, and you keep moving them, a miracle happens, the days go by, and after a while you look and you go like, how did I get halfway through? And then you can go another halfway through by doing the same project. There was a Greek philosopher named Zeno who, who gave an, imp an imponderable which was about how you can never get anywhere because you always have to go halfway before you go all the way. And there's an infinite number of halfway points. And he conceived some race between a, a tortoise and some other animal. Uh, in any case, we do find that by moving one page at a time, you will get there. But start smaller 
And there's another, uh, uh, another trick to overcoming procrastination. The, the brain really um, seeks pleasure. We seek pleasure. And uh, we have, uh, in the language of yoga, some scars or impressions of pleasurable things we've done in the past, and we gravitate towards those. And uh, actually, in modern um, medical science, there's a description. Uh, uh, don't touch your face. There's a description of how um, when we engage in certain activities that stimulate uh, the pleasure area of our brain, we get a chemical reaction, uh, a chemical called dopamine. It's like a, a kind of a, you know, it's a feel-good drug that the, that the body naturally produces when we do certain activities. So there have been experiments with rats, and they put a little uh, electric on their little uh, brains and then they gave them uh, that they were connected to the part of their brain that would stimulate dopamine which would give them a feeling of happiness and then they gave them two levers and one lever every time they push the lever then they would stimulate the brain and they would get dopamine and so then as any addictive behavior they start pushing the lever over and over and over and over again they, they wouldn't stop for anything which reminds us of people who are looking at, for instance, uh, a telephone with images on it, social media, and it's almost like the rat pushing the lever over and over and over and over again. The experiments show that um, when, uh, when they were stimulated by dopamine, they only wanted to get that again and again. They didn't, uh, even food wasn't interesting to them. If they put food nearby them, they wouldn't even go for it. <laughs> They'd eat if you put it like right next to their mouth. But they were, they were showing through this experiment that human beings um, are, are motivated by, the, by getting a sense of happiness or pleasure. Uh, so there's ways in which we can get uh, addicted to certain activities that give us that stimulation right away, but they may not be very... Um, Progressive activities are ultimately very satisfying. For instance, some people play um, video games and they get addicted to it because it spikes the brain. Uh, other people are addicted to pornography, which is a huge epidemic in, in the world. And that overstimulates the brain in such a way it produces some kind of uh, artificial pleasure in the in brain and people can't stop doing it. So there's this, um, what should one do? Uh, there's a way in which uh, we have to retrain our brain so that, um, for instance, if you uh, decide that um, you're going to do other kinds of activities, first of all, you have to do a, a dopamine uh, a detox. Take a day uh, when you, um, you don't stimulate your brain with any of the ways that you're compulsively inclined to do it now. Like, for instance, if, you, if if you find yourself ever wasting time looking at a screen, then take one day when you don't look at any screens. And you, you might feel kind of uh, bored, but that's, a, that's an okay thing to feel bored. Get that out of your system. And it's just like an example, you know, if people have a lot of money and they go to fancy restaurants every day and they eat, they eat a, a big fancy meal, after a while that becomes the new normal. And if you give them a bowl of oatmeal, they'll say like, ew, I don't want to eat that. But if somebody, was, uh, if somebody was starving in the desert 
And um, then uh, you gave them a bowl of oat, not desert, maybe in the forest. <laughs> and, then, and then you gave them a bowl of oatmeal, they'd think it was nectar. So when we allow our brains to get overstimulated in, in uh, certain unproductive ways, and I'm not saying playing is necessarily that, uh, you know, it's good for kids to play, but the fact is that uh, we have to decide, this is also deliberate spiritual intelligence, we have to decide by hearing from the Shastra, what is the best uh, way to, to get that kind of pleasure in our brain? And uh, then do those things first. And, and arrange your life so that you do those kind of things first. For instance, reading Shastra and uh, doing your chanting, uh, even getting uh, substantive work done that you need to do and not just leaving it till the last part of the day and frittering away the rest of the day with things that just feel good. Because then you can start getting a sense of, of happiness that comes from uh, doing the right thing. And uh, that takes a little training so that you can do that. So you have to plan ahead and then uh, write down the activities that you're going to do first and do them in small quantities to start with so that you start developing new habit. And then you can, the, the brain has what's called plasticity, which means it can be reformed at any time. Of course, when people's brains become very addicted to certain kinds of sense gratification, it takes a while for the brain <laughs> for the brain to come back to its normal state. So um, we have to be careful and and deal with it properly. Any other questions or reflections? Yeah, Mara, there are a couple of reflections on the chat, on the Zoom chat, as well as okay. on Facebook, and a few questions also, reflections and questions. Okay. Is one from Shraddha and Lekha. That's the first one to look at. Okay, Shraddha and Lekha, Hare Krishna. The process of getting rid of impulses is to perform devotional service. But what if I'm getting impulses while performing devotional service? What is the remedy to this? Well, in the beginning, obviously, we're going to get these um, impulses while we're performing a devotional service. But um, this is why in the beginning, when we're practicing devotional service, it's called Vaidhi. Vaidhi means rules and regulations. And you have to do it anyway. Just like when the doctor says, you're going to have to stop drinking grapefruit juice for the next uh, two weeks in order to get cured. Uh, and then, um, you know, when you're used to eating great, drinking grapefruit juice, and then you have to, you just follow the doctor and say that I'm not going to do it even though the impulse is there. So in the beginning, we have to be uh, regulated. And as Prabhupada says, do it as like you're in the military. That's just the way it is. And then later on, you'll start to develop your own impetus. So in the beginning, there's, there's these rules and regulations. But it's natural. The impulses are there until you get a higher taste. And from Mayank? Uh, oh, okay, yes, Shada? No, I was thinking it's a reflection from Mayank. Okay, okay reflection from Mayank. From 429.66, O King, all good fortune unto you. The mind is the cause of the living entities attaining a certain type of body in accordance with his association with material nature. According to one's mental composition, one can understand what the living entity was in his past life, as well as what kind of body he will have in the future. Thus, the mind indicates the past and future bodies. Yes. In fact, uh, Patanjali, in one of the chapters in the Yoga Sutras, 
is uh, talks about uh, cities or, or the ways in which uh, one can develop mystic powers. And one of the mystic powers is to be able to see your past lives. And the way that one achieves that through a state of meditation is by very minutely uh, observing the samskars or the impressions that are already there in the brain. And uh, that, it, it, that means in a very um, uh, focused way through the meditation, one can actually see one's past lives. They're written there. Devavrata, the false ego is so uh, imperceptible and subtle, and it seems as long as we are not aware of our eternal spiritual identity, we can very easily be pulled into the tendencies of the false ego, which pulls us away from the intelligence, saying you're an eternal servant of Krishna. It feels like an unending cycle of self-sabotage. How do we overcome this uh, false ego and develop more awareness and confidence of our identity as a servant, as a servant of Krishna? So one of the ways is um, by practicing humility. And um, this is something that becomes noticeable to somebody who's doing sadhana by practicing uh, giving respect to others without expecting any respect in return. So there's a kind of uh, starvation of the, of the ego. You don't feed it and uh, give in to all kinds of ways in which you're um, putting yourself forward. And you can start to notice the reactions. And then also you can start to notice that you're getting your happiness from a, a different level, not from simply stimulating your sense of false ego. Uh, this is, uh, Krishna says in the 15th chapter of the, of the Bhagavad Gita, Nirmana, Moha Jita Sangha Dosha. Nirman, he said, practice uh, not being the center, not putting yourself forward and see what happens. Uh, and then you'll start to uh, develop a little more what's called vivek or discrimination to see that I'm actually not getting anything from my false ego. It's, it's a false sense. And from any artificial sense that I have, I don't actually get what I'm looking for. And also, um, as mentioned in the Bhagavatam, in the Bhagavad Gita, all other uh, shastras that deal with yoga psychology, you only actually get real happiness when you know the truth. And the truth is that you're the, the uh, Purusha and you're part and parcel of Krishna and you have nothing to do with the material world. So the more you can glimpse that through your practice and see that actually I'm a spiritual entity, I'm part and parcel of Krishna, then uh, that higher taste helps us to uh, really um, not want to engage the false ego at all or to be very wary of it. Atulya Harinam Prabhu, um, Delaware Kijai, when we enjoy or suffer, who is actually experiencing the suffering or happiness? Is the spirit soul or the body or the false ego or mind? For example, when someone pinches me, I feel the pain. The experience of pain is at the bodily level. However, if we are not the body in real sense, this body is dead. How is the experience uh, calculated at a spiritual level? Well, this is described by uh, Maitreya Rishi to Vidura in the third canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. There are other technical explanations given in various places, but this one is a, an example that everyone can relate to. And that is a dream. When we're in a dream, 
we may experience some pleasure or we may experience some uh, dis great distress. And um, it's in one sense, it's actually happening to me because I'm making a mistake. Uh, and, and you can't say that I'm not suffering in some way, but it's a mistaken kind of happiness and it's not real. And he gives the example, does Maitreya, that um, one might see one's head cut off in a dream. So someone cuts your head off and then says, here, here you go. And you're watching uh, your head cut off and then you're holding your head in your hands. And then you're, you're crying like, wow, my head's cut off. But that doesn't make any sense because the fact is that um, you can't see when your head's cut off. <laughs> what to speak a cry and so forth. And so when you wake up, then you see, oh, this was uh, uh, some kind of a conjuring that was going on within the mind. So the soul uh, is the seer, but it is mistakenly engaging in um, an illusory kind of uh, awareness, which is the modes of nature projected onto the screen of the mind and is following that movie, just like you might when you go in a movie theater, which nobody can now because of COVID-19, but if you sit down in a movie theater and the, and the movie comes on and you're watching, you can be carried away by it. So there's a sense that I'm going here, I'm going there. And all the, all the while, uh, the, the soul is uh, the same as it ever was. And when, when the lights come back on in the movie, you notice that the movie was going on and I was okay the whole time. And similarly, when we wake up uh, to our real spiritual nature, we notice I was okay the whole time. In fact, I'm all, I've always been liberated, as a matter of fact, because I'm part and parcel of the Lord. I'm the same quality as He is. But because I'm tiny, I've been carried away by this material nature and I've, I've been abhinibeshita, or absorbed in a, a, an energy that has nothing to do with me. So ultimately the soul is the agent, is the actor, but he's, um, he's watching uh, the wrong movie, actually. And then we have um, for Ranavinkat Prabhu, he says uh, 8114 sounds similar to this. And uh, we can look at that, 8114. And while you're finding that, I'm gonna see, uh, Oh, Radhavinkat Prabhu said 326, so as not to disrupt the minds of ignorant men attached uh, to, to the material uh, world. Hey, there's the Haritaki fruit. <laughs> yeah, I was just looking it up, my lad. <laughs> the Bodhi Bedam Janayad, Agyanam Karma Sanginam, Joshet Sarvakarmani, Vidvan Yukta Samacharan. And the translation is, so as not to disrupt the minds of ignorant men attached to the fruit of results of prescribed duties, a learned person should not induce them to stop work, but rather by, rather, by working in the spirit of devotion, he should engage them in all sorts of activities for the gradual development of Krishnaism. That's it. That's the verse. And he gave us one other verse uh, from 8.114. the one that we are doing. Oh, that's today's verse. Okay. Then we've got um, Mukharavinda Prabhu as a living entity is in distress regarding his self-identity. 
He has no factual background like a man who dreams that he sees his head cut off. Let's look at that one and I'll read the purport. It's a short purport, but it's a very instructive. Is everyone okay? Yes, Maharaj. Krishna, you're okay? Yes. Okay. Kadashi Vrat is there. Manish is there. Okay, in San Jose. You're good. Okay, okay. Yad Artena Vina Mushya Pumsa Atma Viparyaya Pratiyata Upadrishtu Drashtu Swa Shiras Chedanadika. Oh, this sounds terrible. He's getting his head cut off. Yet, thus, Artena, a purpose or meaning, Vina, without, Amusha, of such a one, Pumsa, of the living entity, Atma Viparyaya, upset about self-identification, Pratiyate, so appear, Upadrashtu, of the superficial onlooker, Swashira, own head, Chedana Adika, cutting off, Ooh. Translation, the living entity is in distress regarding his self-identity. He has no factual background like a man who dreams that he sees his head cut off. Purport, a teacher in school once threatened his pupil that he would cut off the pupil's head and hang it on the wall so that the child could see how his head had been cut off. Do they do that at Challenger? <laughs> the child became frightened and stopped his mischief. I'll probably get sued for that. Similarly, the miseries of the pure soul and the disruption of his self-identification are managed by the external energy of the Lord, which controls those mis mischievous living entities who want to go against the will of the Lord. Actually, there is no bondage or misery for the living entity, nor does he ever lose his pure knowledge. In his pure consciousness, when he thinks a little seriously about his position, he can understand that he is eternally subordinate to the mercy of the supreme and that his attempt to become one of the supreme one with the supreme lord is a false illusion life after life the living entity falsely tries to lord it over material nature and become the lord of the material world but there is no tangible result at last when frustrated he gives up his material activities and tries to become one with the lord and speculate with much jugglery of words without success these activities are performed under the dictation of the illusory energy. The experience is compared to the experience of one's having his head cut off in a dream. The man whose head has been cut off also sees that his head has been cut off. If a person's head is severed, he loses his power to see. Therefore, if a man sees that his head has been cut off, it means that he thinks like that in hallucina hallucination. Similarly, a living entity is eternally subordinate to the Supreme Lord, and he has this knowledge with him. But artificially, he thinks that he is God himself, and that although he is God, he has lost his knowledge due to Maya. This conception has no meaning, just as there is no meaning to seeing one's head being cut off. This is the process by which knowledge is covered. And because this artificial rebellious condition of the living entity gives him all troubles, it is to be understood that he should take to his normal life as a devotee of the Lord and be relieved from the misconception of being God. The so-called liberation of thinking oneself God is the last reaction of avidya by which the living entity is entrapped. <clears throat> the conclusion is that a living entity deprived of eternal transcendental service to the Lord becomes illusion in many ways. 
even in his conditional life, he is the eternal servant of the Lord. His servitude under the spell of illusory energy, uh, Maya, is also a manifestation of his eternal condition of service. Because he has rebelled against the service of the Lord, he is therefore put in the service of Maya. He is still serving, but in a perverted manner. When he wants to get out of service under material bondage, he next desires to become one with the Lord. This is another illusion. The best course, therefore, is to surrender unto the Lord and thus get rid of the illusory Maya for good. As confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, So that's the answer to that question. So just, uh, um, was there anything else? From Munisha. Yeah, thank you for giving us that verse, Mukarvan. And then Munisha said, you mentioned that there is a wave of karma that comes all at the same time. If I understand correctly from that same wave, there will be actions and reactions. And again, the cycle repeats. How can we get out of the cycle? Also, we can never get one pure mode, as you had explained. The modes are mixed. So how do we develop the pure feeling to love Krishna? Yes, so um, this is the process of Krishna consciousness, uh, to become free altogether from uh, the modes of material nature that there are um, different processes uh, through these uh, different uh, Vedic darshans. You know, there's Sankhya philosophy that describe there's Prakriti and Purusha, and then there's uh, Nyaya philosophy, there's Vaisheshika philosophy, there's uh, yoga, and all of them ultimately have this idea that uh, the, the soul is uh, uh, suffering in the material world, so they have different ideas of what the, the soul is. But in um, uh, Vedanta, uh, uh, by Veda Vyas, we understand that the soul is the internal part and parcel of Krishna, and that um, because of mistakenly identifying with the material body and mind since the time immemorial, he's suffering. So the way to get out of that suffering is to turn one's attention back to Krishna. This is described, um, Lord Chaitanya used, uh, gave this verse, and it's, it was spoken by one of the Yogendras in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Payam dvitiya abhini beshatasyad, ishad apetasya viparya yosmiti, tanmayat buddha abhijat tam bhaktiyaika yesham guru devatatma. He said that Havi uh, Yogendra, that um, we're suffering because of. Um, being absorbed in that which is not Krishna. We are absorbed in, in something we think isn't Krishna. There is, everything's part of Krishna. We're part of Krishna, but we get in a reversed condition of life and we start thinking that I'm separate from Krishna and I'm my body and then, then fear arises because I think that I'm going to die. And uh, I think that I'm a separate enjoyer. And so then he says that, the, um, in fact, the Lord Chaitanya commenting on the verse says that he becomes a competitor to God because he's God's eternal servant becomes a competitor. So what's the solution? Tanmayad Buddha Abhijat Tum. You change your attitude and get a new attitude, and that is that uh, I am a servant of Krishna. And then uh, you turn your attention towards Krishna through Guru 
uh, he says, uh, Guru Deva Tatma, see the, the, the representative and uh, give your service to the parampara, how to become connected to Krishna. And in that way, it's a simple thing. You turn your attention back to Krishna, just like Prabhupada solved the problem in the, in the last purport. At the end, he said, Daivahi Yesha Gunamai, Mama Maya Duratya, Mameviye Prapadyante, Mayami Tamtarantite. So you're in trouble. You're stuck in this illusory energy. What do you do? Surrender to Krishna. <laughs> Surrender to Krishna. And how do you do that? Follow the uh, Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra. Find out how to get out of it. You got to get a good attorney who tells you, here's what you do. Here's how to um, amend your life through the process of following uh, devotional service. And then uh, by the mercy of, of the Lord, uh, Maya gives up. You know, when, when Maya sees the devotees engaging in devotional service, she gives us up. So, all right, you can go. You're free. You go away. So we, we practice bhakti by surrendering to Krishna through the process of devotional service, beginning with Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam. And by that process, we, uh, Maya releases us and uh, simultaneously become more and more attached to Krishna. And those modes of material nature are, are, cannot stand in front of Krishna. As we, uh, as we continue to associate with Krishna, Krishna Surya Sama Maya Haya Andakar. You know, where there's Krishna, there's no darkness. And where there's no Krishna, there's only darkness. So if you stay in association with Krishna by chanting Hare Krishna, hearing Srimad Bhagavatam, serving the devotees, then uh, by Krishna's powerful purifying effect, the modes of material nature will diminish. You know all the verses, right? Shushu Shro Shodanasya, Srinvatam Swakata Krishna, Nashtapraishu Badrishu, Tadarajas Tamobhava. It says that the, the modes will be uh, eliminated. Uh, by the process of hearing about Krishna and doing devotional service. I just make another point, and that is that uh, those who become um, sensitized to the fact that uh, I'm a soul, I'm actually, you know, in a material body that's not me, become uh, very sensitive to how they move about the material world. This is a very interesting point I read yesterday in my study of the Yoga Sutras because uh, there was a, an analogy that uh, Vyasadeva gives in, in one of the sutras. And he said that uh, a yogi is uh, aware of the pain that's inherent in pleasure of the material world. And so he says that chlada or, or pleasure is practically, uh, it's particularly insidious. Can you look up the word insidious? Thank you. Yeah. Should I, should I spell out? Yeah, just uh, tell the, uh, trans, the uh, definition. So it's an adjective, which means proceed, proceeding in a gradual, subtle way, but with harmful effects. Ah. And where does it come from? The origin of insidious. Okay. It doesn't give the origins here. Okay, so so gradual and subtle, and it takes us over. So yogis become aware chlada is particularly insidious because uh, we think, oh, I'm enjoying, but actually, 
because of that, I become really attached to that idea that I can enjoy, and then I suffer more. Whereas, I, yes? Yeah, I was saying that I found the origin also, and it's very interesting origin because it says it's from Latin, which is insidi insidiosus, which means cunning. And from insidia, yeah, and from insidia, which is ambush or trick. Ooh. <laughs> and from insidia, which is lie in wait for. So we get uh, ambushed, tricked by this idea that there's some pleasure in the material world. Yogis become very sensitized because of what we were just hearing about parabhavas, tavara, bodha, jata. You know, if my mind's colored by this activity idea that I can enjoy the material world. So they're particularly careful about where they move in the world. Look at Judd Bharat, how aware he was and how he moved about. He didn't want to get involved again. And whereas on the other side, dukkha, the misery is actually a little bit purifying because from dukkha we get frustration, which actually helps us. So if you feel frustrated for any reason, you should feel yourself, be, you should feel yourself uh, fortunate. So here's the analogy he gives. He says, a, a person who becomes refined in understanding how the material world works and what our situation is in it becomes very sensitive. How sensitive? As sensitive as an eyeball. Now, when I first heard that, I said, what? And then he goes on to explain that if you put a tiny little filament on your eyeball, you'll be very uncomfortable. If you put that little filament anywhere else on your body, you won't even feel it. But on your eyeball, it's so sensitive that you'll be trying to get it out right away. So he said, those who are advancing in the process of uh, spiritual consciousness, they become as sensitive as an eyeball to the fact that they're being exposed to uh, various modes of nature, and they're very careful about that. So uh, they're, the yogi is aware of the pain that's inherent in pleasure. So in the these... Uh, moments that are advertised you know you see billboards television things like oh yes this is what we're looking for running on the beach really happy all you have to do is smoke cigarettes and and you know this or drink coca-cola the yogi's very aware that this is an ambush this is a fake out and that inherent in that so-called pleasure is is pain at the end of it so he's careful she's careful to move about the world in such a way as not to become more and more entangled so the practical way of doing that is to dedicate one's activities to Krishna. And this is uh, by Narada describes as like taking a thorn out with a thorn. We have these um, tendencies to act in the material world in ways that entangle us. So we act all the same, but we dedicate it to Krishna. So activities is there, that's the thorn, but it takes out the other thorn, which is attachment to the material world. So we're being rightly directed by Bhagavad Gita, by Srimad Bhagavatam, by Srila Prabhupada, who's teaching us how to live in such a way that although we're working, we're doing everything, we're being purified by, of the modes of material nature. The Kadashivrata, does that mean that if Maya is still disturbing us while we perform devotional service, we are not actually performing devotional service? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that uh, you're in a particular stage of devotional service. Anartanivritti means that you become aware of the fact that there are obstacles and you're working very hard to overcome them. And there's other verses which we've mentioned many times. I won't go into the great detail on it because we're getting late here, but Jata Shraddha Makkatasu Nirvina Sarva Karmasu 
Veda Dukatmakankamams Pritya Pranishvara. This verse by Krishna says that there's a stage of devotional service in which you're you know what the right thing is, but you can't quite do it yet. But then he says, just keep working, <laughs> just keep doing it. Because at a particular stage, you're going to uh, become cleared from that. So Keshri, we, we can chant, to control the mind, is there practical tips how to eliminate the influence or transcend the modes of material nature on a daily basis? Yes, turn your cell phone off. And Mukharavinda Prabhu said, uh, mid-16th century from Latin, oh, insidious, cunning, from ambush, trick. That's the discovery of the day, don't you think? That word insidious. Anyways, so um, birds fly in the sky as high as they're able. And we, we all together today, we tried by chanting, hearing, and discussing to... Uh, Please, Krishna. Yes, Maharaj. There were some more comments. and Okay, and let's hear the comments. <laughs> on Facebook also. Um, yes. so there was a comment from Preeti Radhika. said, some material activity performed for Krishna, even if it's some tinge of material desire, eventually becomes purified. This provides so much hope and encouragement. Thank you. <coughs> and then um, Pavitra Renu says that, Take consistency over volume. Yeah. And uh, Aditi Sharma says, I definitely need a dopamine detox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, it's really interesting. Just like tapasya, you know, it's a wealth of the Brahmins. How can depriving your senses be a wealth? It's because you get a new insight on life. You know, just like uh, if you don't eat for a while, then you start to appreciate what you, when you do eat a lot more. If you stuff yourself all day long, food just becomes the new normal. And that's how material sense gratification works. It levels off. There's a thing in uh, when, when uh, doctors administrate, uh, administer some drug, they have to be aware of various conditions. One of them is called tolerance because the body seeks homeostasis or a kind of balance. And when you introduce something new into the body, then the body adjusts to it in a certain way. So any kind of like a drug, you know, you need more, not any kind of drug, but in certain circumstances, certain drugs, you need more and more of it in order to get the same result. So sense gratification, it doesn't mean that you're actually going to enjoy. It just means you're going to need to do more and more of it. So uh, paradoxically, when we, when we uh, resist the senses and regulate them, we actually, Krishna says, Raga dvesha vimuktais tu vishayan indriyaishcharan atma vashervede atma prasadam anigachati. By following the regulations that I'm giving, Krishna says, you're going to start to enjoy a lot more than you were before because of this prasad, this grace that comes into you, into your life by following the process that Krishna is giving which is not necessarily the one your senses have in mind. Anything else, Shraddha? Uh, a couple of questions. I don't know if you have time to pick those up. Or Let's hear what the questions are. Well, um, one question is from, um, okay, let me decide, I can ask that. It was from our Anand Vrindavan Mataji. And uh, she's saying that it is mentioned that super soul is just the witness and the soul is the actor. But again, it's mentioned in many places that super soul guides us in various ways from within. 
So it's a bit confusing for me. Could you please elaborate on this? Well, Vyasadeva says ultimately the, the soul is the agent because it, it's um, what Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Samaham Sarvabhuteshvaname Dveshvastinapriya, that as the Paramatma, I am simply uh, fulfilling the desires uh, of the, the souls according to what it, it is asking for even so much so that at the end of the, the um, time of the universe, when we merged back into Mahavishnu and our mind and uh, subtle body merges back into Prakriti, then when we come back again at, at the time of the next uh, manifestation, everything gets reconstituted as it was before. Just like you see sometimes in the in a dry season, everything dries up. There's no frogs, there's no reeds along the side of the lake. But when the rain comes, the frogs come back and the, and the reeds grow up again. So that happens. And then uh, Vyasadeva points out in the Vedanta Sutra that actually the soul is an agent who can change his situation. And the logic he gives that if he wasn't an agent for change, then uh, there would be no meaning to the Shastra, which is telling us that we should rise above the three modes of material nature. So we are agents and Krishna responds to our um, desire to get out of the material world. Tesham satata yuktanam vajatam pritipurvakam dadami budiyogam tam yena mamupayantite. As soon as by good fortune we decide that uh, I would not like to stay in the material world anymore and we start to pray to God, even if we don't know who he is, then Krishna will give us the intelligence how to come to him. A lot more to say on that, but that's the brief answer. One more? Uh, yeah, this is from Sridanga Puridas Prabhu. He says that, uh, suppose I'm initiated, but I couldn't follow regulative principle. For example, I trade in the share market. Does it have a karmic reaction in how to overcome this? You initiated, but you're not following? Yeah. <coughs> the four regulative principles. I see. Well, uh, when... The four regulative principles are called the regulative principles of freedom, and they free us from becoming more entangled in the material world. So when we don't follow regulative principles, it's like pouring water on a fire when trying to, to light it. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't help us, that's for sure. So um, yes, there is uh, some karmic reaction, there's a way in which uh, if you pull, pull the plug out of the wall when you get initiated and say, I'm not going to do this anymore, you're protected. If you plug it back in again, the fan's going to move a little bit. So, um, but at the same time, uh, and if it's a, it's a mistake or an accident or you're, you're pushed by past, past bad habits into these things again, um, but you're sincerely trying to get out of it, then by Krishna's grace, you'll be able to overcome it at a certain point. But if you develop an attitude that it doesn't matter, then, then you could be in real trouble. Because uh, the point is that maybe sometimes somebody who's not mature enough takes to the process, uh, makes a vow for regular principles, and then somehow or other can't follow it. Um, but they're trying. Then gradually they can pick themselves up and come to the standard over time because the sincerity is is what counts but we shouldn't take advantage of it if we do that then we're committing the seventh offense and there's also um, a way in which uh, Krishna gives us a few passes but then 
Um, Bhaktivinoda Thakur gives this example that if you're if you're really not paying attention and you don't try, it's just like if you work somewhere and then you keep showing up late, then the shopkeeper will lock you out and say, sorry, you can't work here anymore. And then after you've really thought about it, no, I really want to work, then he'll say, okay, you can come back in. So a similar way, if we really transgress, then we may have to suffer some more. So a lot of it depends on attitude. Thank you, Maharaj. Not to the Not to the Not to the Not to the Not to the